Welcome to Share Your Magic, Biz and Brand Talk with Mary Alvazurez. If you are a soul-driven entrepreneur looking to share your magic with the world in the best ways possible, this is the podcast for you. Mary is here to give you the actionable tools, insights, inspiration, uplifting conversations, and goods to level up your brand, biz, and world. Ready to share your magic with the world? Let's get started. Here is your host, Mary. Hello, beautiful soul. I'm so excited to have you here with me again. Today, we have special guest Robin McKay. She is an award-winning psychologist, multi-six-figure entrepreneur, and an executive coach to top leaders in Fortune 500 companies and entertainment. Dr. McKay is also a leading expert in the new field of spiritual intelligence. She builds bridges between reason and intuition, science and spirit, and her clients' heads and hearts. In her life outside the office, Robin loves hiking on the desert trails near, near her home in Scottsdale, Arizona, and climbing the rocks of Sedona. Ah, magical Sedona. I love that. <laughs> Hi, Robin. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you. I'm excited to have you here. Excited for today's episode. I'm looking forward to it also. Amazing. So I love, you know, what I just read, like you build the bridge between reason and intuition. I'm like, that's so huge. (laughs) Like it's something that many of us are trying to figure out these days, right? Yeah. So when it comes to building bridges between reason and intuition, I think a lot of people who are exploring intuition and trying to understand how their intuition work often sort of throw out all of their ways of knowing that they had before they discovered intuition. So they throw out their, their reason and their logic and so on. And I think it's a really healthy thing to do to blend the two and to use your logic and your reason as a, as a way of helping you call through all of the information that's coming in on an intuitive plane and make the best decisions possible for yourself or your business or for your career, or wherever you're headed in the future to really extract yourself from that existential crisis or conundrum that a lot of people have found themselves in, especially right now. Yeah, absolutely. So much has changed (laughs) and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all just like awakening to, and and just, you know, adjusting to, I guess you could say the new world, right? The new way of being. Um, So no, thank you for sharing that with us. What would you say um, for someone that's just like, you know, Robin, I hear you, but um they're still like feeling disconnected from their intuition, right? Cause that's kind of, as we're growing up, it's everything's logic, logic, logic. That's just kind of what we're, you know, taught to think of. <laughs> it's just everything has to be logical. Um, so what would you say someone to someone that's like, how can I reconnect or like be, make, you know, create that relationship with my intuition a little stronger? Well, I, Actually, contrary to what most people will say, most people will say everybody's intuitive and it's not actually true. If you look at the, the a normal distribution curve, the statistics would say that, you know, the vast majority of people, 68% of the population are average 
in terms of intuition. And then there's probably, you know, 10 or 11% of people who are super intuitives, like I am probably like you are. And then there are some who really have very little access to intuition as well. I think that's an important consideration when we talk about intuition to begin with, because I think we set the bar so high for bringing our, our intuition online. We have this expectation that if everybody is intuitive, then certainly I should be, you know, the Michael Jordan of intuition. And just like with basketball, not everybody can be Michael Jordan either. I know that's an old reference, but you get my point. So, you know, in terms of accessing, understanding your intuition, developing it, I think it's really important to look back at where you came from. So you're right, in school, we get trained into logic, reason, argument, intellect has become this kind of primacy science has become a thing that everybody refers to as a way of knowing. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's not the only way of knowing. And in fact, I think what's happened with the use of the word science certainly at this point is that science prevents us from having a real life experience with our inner knowing, with our intuition. So when you're getting started, and developing intuition, remember when you were a little kid and you just kind of knew stuff. Maybe you knew like I did when my third grade math teacher was going to have a pop quiz. <laughs> there was no way that I could have known that. Like I didn't see anything on her desk or anything like that. I wasn't cheating. I would prep for it and then I would get an A on it. Or when I was in high school, I got called into the principal's office, not for a bad thing because I was a I was a, one of the top students, but the secretary came to get me because there was a scholarship that was being offered from an organization. I had to write an essay for it. And on my way to the office, the entire essay downloaded into my brain and I just wrote it out and I won the scholarship. It was probably $500. So we have these moments of intuition in our lives that we can't explain and we usually don't have words for because the people around us don't know what that is. And we've also grown up in a, in a world where if you know things without being ex able to explain why you know them, you're, you're made to be wrong. You're made to explain yourself. And when you can't explain yourself other than to say, I just know, like that's never good enough. You have to learn how to reverse engineer why you know what you know until at some point you put your intuition in the back seat rather than allowing it to be front and center. You know, Einstein is credited with saying that intuition is a sacred gift and reason is a faithful servant. And we've created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. So all of this work that we're doing right now in the great awakening and coming online as we're creating this new chapter of the world for ourselves is about re-establishing intuition as a sacred gift and putting it back into its rightful place in the front of how we make decisions and why we know what we know. And using intuit, or sorry, using logic and reason as a, a structure, as a method of discernment, not to crush intuition, but to get crystal clear on what it is that we are actually knowing. Mm, I love that so much. You brought up so many good points. And I think one thing that I really resonated with is like, 
you know, explaining how you knew things. That's always been a thing for me. Like, well, how'd you do that though? Right. And you Mm -hmm. always have to explain it. And I like, so up until a few years ago, when I learned about human design, I don't know if you're familiar with human design. I am. I'm okay, a yeah. generator. I'm a five, three, five generator, I think. So I'm the, I'm a great experimenter, life experimenter. <laughs> Amazing. I'm a two, four, a manifesting generator. Mm-hmm. So even more, you know, um, just does things without no, without no rhyme or reason just it happens <laughs> and like when no, learning that I was like okay that's the permission slip that's just my thing I was like I yeah. just know things <laughs> well so. and I think that there is a benefit in building bridges for other people because remember I said statistically most people aren't going to necessarily have as much access to intuition as those of us who I would call spiritually intelligent mm-hmm. have access to it just is how our how our personalities are structured, how our brains are structured and so on, and what our souls came here to do. So building a bridge to help people along with your thinking, with how you understand things, I think is it's a polite thing to do actually, but it's when you get challenged day in, day out on that and questioned about it, that it becomes burdensome to the point where intuition kind of goes underground. It still operates, but it operates very much from the back seat rather than from the driver's seat, which is where I believe it needs to be. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's really amazing that, you know, you've, uh, you over your years of experience and working with everything that you work with and the people that you work with, you be, you help them bridge that, right? That's so important. It is. And I think that one of my greatest gifts that I give people who work with me is to just teach them who they are, to remind them who they are. The people who I work with are emotionally intelligent. They are intuitive, but oftentimes they're working in fields like tech and engineering and science and medicine, where again, logic, reason, intellect is prime. And everybody still questions intuition and even questions in some some places. So really just reminding people of who they are as spiritually intelligent beings then gives them, in your words, the permission slip to just be able to be themselves without apology, without gaslighting themselves. And so much as we have to always look at the results. And if we can just point them to the results rather than to the process, I think that's a really good way to build that bridge to understanding intuition. Look at the results of it. What are the results? Not the process, but what's happening on the outcome side of things. I love that. That's amazing. Um, I know that just to switch things a little bit, I know that you're known to say that um, it's time to start to stop, sorry, not start, stop targeting happiness, happiness as an outcome for ourselves. Um, in your observation, what should be, we, what should we be focusing on instead of happiness? Are you just so tired of hearing people say, I just want them to be happy, just be happy. And I'm like, Oh, if I could just stop having people say that, I think that'd be great for everybody. And here's why. Happiness is an effusive, fleeting experience. It doesn't last long. 
And a lot of times when we're seeking happiness, what we're actually wanting to experience is a hit of dopamine. So we look for new experiences. We look for ways to fall in love again. We look for new cars. We look for new vacations, whatever it is. We're constantly seeking out dopamine stimulating experiences. The problem with that is that our brains get addicted pretty quickly or habituate to those new experiences. And so then we feel flat again, and then we have to find the next fix. We have to find the next dopamine fix. So if that's how we're understanding happiness, which is a feeling, that's something that we're constantly going to be chasing, just like you know, an IV drug user is gonna be chasing the next hit. So too, I think a lot of people chase that next hit of dopamine from an experience, from a thing. So rather than looking at happiness as a result, what I always recommend doing is looking at creating meaning and purpose in your life, creating a deep-seated sense of satisfaction from the contributions that you're making, from the things that you're mastering in your life. It's a much more fulfilling pathway and in, at the end of the day, that's, I think, what everybody is wanting for themselves and for their loved ones, not to just be happy, but to be fulfilled, to make the contributions that they came here to make, to master the experiences that they came here to master. That's the human experience. It's not to, you know, buy, an, buy a new toy or buy a new pair of shoes and then six weeks later, be disappointed because the shoes aren't new anymore. The new car smell went away. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can relate. I, in these past years, in the beginning of my business, you know, um, things were a little hard and I was, you know, getting things together, of course, as a new entrepreneur, but finally getting to a place in my business where I felt comfortable. I could buy the nice things. I could buy the toys, the shoes, the purses, all the things that I love. And like, that was always some like a goal for me, right? Like I put the purse on the vision board and I'd put the shoes on the vision board or the experience on the vision board. And then finally having those things happen. But then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I have the shoes. I have the purse. I did the trip, but I'm like, what's next? Like, I, I was like, this is what I've been working hard for. <laughs> But um, yeah. I mean, I still appreciate those things. But yeah, no, I, I got to the place where I'm like, no, there had to be more. And I, I totally get it, what you mean, like looking for that, you know, fulfillment. Um, although I will never say no to the shoes, you know, they do make me feel happy. I do love the happiness, but I see, like, I completely understand. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yeah. Robin. Well, and, and don't you think that entrepre entrepreneurship has propagated that dopamine hit with the Louboutins and the Louis Vuitton and all the things. And listen, I've been there too. And it's actually, in my experience, a pathway to burnout because you reach the end of yourself and you're just as you did saying, okay, I have all of these things. Now what? And that's actually an existential crossroads. And it can turn into an existential crisis if you're not mindful of it, because you're, you're basically just continuing to invest in the system that is no longer working for you, that you've realized that there's an emptiness here. That's not why I'm doing this work. I thought it was, I thought it was to 
you know, make my first six figures or to make my first seven figures or whatever it is. I thought it was that, but it's actually who you become in the process. That process of becoming or the process of actualizing yourself is the, the journey that most entrepreneurs are on and they have no idea that that's what they're doing. They think as I did, and as probably you did too, early in the entrepreneurial journey, that it was the journey to six figures or the journey to seven figures or the journey to the, you know, closet full of Louboutins or whatever that, <laughs> whatever that was for, for you. I think Louboutins were something that I were most sought after for, after for me early on in my entrepreneurial journey, for sure. I hear you. I had a closet. I got to the point where I was like, I have a closet full of clothes. I don't need any more clothes, but like what for, you know? <laughs> and well, I'm, yeah. I'm really grateful. I could say I donate a lot. <laughs> like I go through my seasons, but you know, so it does go to other people that need it. But I, yeah, I just got to the point where I'm like, really, Mary, you've been working for a closet. <laughs> <laughs> to fill up your well, closet. and we have to be careful not to judge ourselves for that too, because that closet represented something inside of you. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an out picturing of something that was inside of you that, that desire that you had for a closet. I know when I was a little girl, I used to imagine, I would imagine this, I'd be like, this was not in my imagination. This is in reality. So laying in a bed full of clover and seeking out the little four leaf clovers that I could find. I could find a lot of four leaf clovers actually. And when I would find one, I would wish on the four leaf clover. And in my wish, I would envision this beautiful closet filled with dresses. I was like four. <laughs> and so I would go home and throw up in my closet and there would be one, you know, my communion dress or whatever it was, my first communion dress or whatever it was in my closet. And I'm like, so disappointed. Well, that was something though, that was inside of me. I love beautiful clothing. And now I walk into my closet and I have a closet filled with beautiful clothing. That's, I, that's who I became in the process. I became the woman who has a closet of beautiful clothing. Most of which, by the way, I don't wear now because of, you know, the COVID thing, like I'm in <laughs> jeans and, and yoga yeah. gear most of the time. So our lives have changed in the last couple of years in terms of what we value, what we hold precious and dear, what's important to us. And we derive meaning from the, the things that we have in possibly different ways than we did three years ago, five years ago, you know, 20 years ago, even. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. No, and I'm really glad you did bring that up because I think it's really you know, especially in the spiritual, um, when someone's on their spiritual path, I think everyone, like, I always tell my clients, I'm like, look, we're all on our own path. We're all on our own thing. If you want a certain thing, like I'm a web designer, right? And I'm like, you want your website website to look a certain way. I'm not going to stop you from that. That's literally like you, you know, what you want. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, there's ideas and thoughts and this and that, and like, you know, being spiritual means that you can't have the nice things or like, why would you have the nice things? Or, you know, there's a little bit of a judgment coming from that, but I'm like, no, but if that's what's, you know, <laughs> that's what you want, that's what you want. Yeah, um, so let's, let's talk about that because that the, the creative spirit of the entrepreneur is something that we really need to pay attention to. I did a podcast recently on why dressing like Zuck isn't a good idea. And have you seen that video or um, article? It was a couple of years ago. They had this whole like 
Mark Zuckerberg wears black t-shirts and blue jeans every single day. And you should too. And I'm like, oh God, just kill me now if I have to wear that every single day. I'm not a clone. I'm not a robot. I'm not a cog in a great machine. I care about beauty. In fact, I need beauty. And I'm guessing that you do new, you do also as a web designer, as a, a brand specialist. I mean, we deal in beauty. And so having beauty around us is not optional. It's necessary. It's a requirement. And so we have to stop making ourselves wrong for those unique nuances of our personalities. Just because Zuck did something doesn't mean it's right for you. Now, for some people, they can work in a white room with no windows and no decorations and be just fine. And I doubt that you're one of them. And I certainly know that I'm not. And probably your listeners aren't either. So we can't make ourselves wrong about our desire for beautiful things. I think that's a mistake. But we don't also have to be owned by those beautiful things. In other words, we can use those things to enhance our lives, to enhance our energy so that we can bring our very best to the conversation so that we can make the contributions that we're really designed to make in the world. I know we're not shooting video today, but you can bet I've got my lip gloss on and my mascara. I feel better. <laughs> of I course. feel better wearing those things. Do you see what I'm saying? If and I, I can hear it in your voice too. Yeah. You're not sitting there like slouching over like, yes, Mary looks talking. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wear my buddy slippers and like hang out with my messy hair. Like, no, like when I'm up <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning with my golden doodle, like, no, you, you, you show up when you have a personality profile that values and cares deeply about beauty. That's essential to what you create, what you actualize in your life. And if you're not actualizing that, then you can get depressed, anxious. I used to get really badly behaved if I wasn't in a beautiful environment. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love how you bring that up because yeah, no, we're all, like I said, we're all so different. I always say to each their own and I'm not one to, you know, say, well, that's wrong for you because that's actually probably right for you. And this is what's right for me. <laughs> But it took me a while to get there. I, that's not, I did not wake up like this. <laughs> Got a lot of work to get here. But um, none of us I, wake up like this. None <laughs> of us wake up like this. Let me tell you. I know. <laughs> but I love that we're talking about it. I don't think enough people talk about this. So I really love what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Another question I have for you is, in your work as a psychologist, um, I know you're focused on identity development. Um, realizing who we actually are versus who we think we are with all of our roles, responsibilities, credentials, and education. So how do we sort it all out? And why is it important as business owners to sort it all out? Such great questions. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago when I was studying to get my PhD that research is me-search. Research is me-search. And so whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, a CEO of your own company, or you're an entrepreneur working for a, a corporate structure as well, the more you understand yourself, your, how your personality is structured, who you are in the whole scheme of the universe. There are some people who believe that their 
I wouldn't say they believe that they're robots, but they don't feel necessarily different from anybody else. And they have a lot of imposter syndrome going on. They have a lot of, maybe if they're questioning who they are, they're looking around at other people and not seeing how they're different or how, what makes them unique. So I think the first gift that we can give ourselves is really to understand deeply our personalities. And I've alluded to the statistical application of personality, as I remember I said earlier on a, on a normal distribution curve, when we talk about intuition, the vast majority of people, 68% of the population have intuition. And then there's all percentage, about 11% who are really intuitive and another 11% who aren't particularly intuitive at all. But that actually is a small slice of the personality puzzle. There are five different factors of personality that we can look at that are well-known by personality psychologists. And then within those five factors, there are six different facets of personality in each of those fa factors. So when we look at the whole of your personality, we're gonna see that you're gonna have a lot of some characteristics of personality and not so much of others. And the more we understand what makes us unique in the population, the more that we understand ourselves as unique individuals. Then we can drill into what am I meant to be contributing given my specific abilities, my specific personality. I know I'm not meant to be a jack of all trades, a master of none. And so the more we understand ourselves as unique beings, the easier it is for us to dial in on what we're meant to be contributing in the world. We see that in entrepreneurship all the time. There's so many people copycatting and looking at what somebody else is doing and trying to replicate that in their own businesses. But unless and until you really get to the spirit of who you are and the spirit of who your business is meant to be, I think people are going to struggle with, with all of those kind of top line goals that we have as entrepreneurs, whether it's 10K months or uh, seven figure years, I think that the more we know ourselves, the easier it is for us to actualize those goals that we have in our businesses. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I'm like, I'm living proof of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, in the beginning for me, it was like, okay, well that person's doing that and that's why they're mm -hmm. successful. And okay, that person's teaching those, you know, these are the income goals we have to reach. And then I was just like trying to grab from everybody, right? Cause I, I was new at entrepreneurship, but until I literally was like, Mary, just do like what's true to you. That's when my business skyrocketed. That's when like yep. the dream clients came in. That's when I was like, oh, I can have a business. This could really work for me. <laughs> yep. But until I yeah. did that, I was just, you know, on a roller coaster on, of so, on so many levels, emotional, everything. <laughs> so I really well, love that you bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I think that self-doubt is one of the most debilitating energies that we can bring into the business. When you doubt yourself, you doubt your ability. And it's almost, there's real self-doubt for sure. But then there's sort of this false self-doubt as though you need to make things look like they're harder than they are so that there might be people around you who are questioning if you're working hard enough or how successful you're going to be, or even maybe mirroring back that they doubt that you'll be able to succeed. So I think when we can clear out and heal self-doubt from our fields, 
from our, our psychology, from how we're thinking about the business, how we're going about our business. And just make the decision to trust yourself, trust your business, trust money. That shifts the energy so much to be able to then make the contribution that you know in your heart you started your business for. But the self-doubt gets in the way, doesn't it? Absolutely. And what would you say to someone that's like, Robin, yes, I hear you. The self-doubt, it's like, it's where I'm at right now. <laughs> like, how do I, you know, take the next step forward? I know there's a lot of ways and, you know, there's not a one size fits all or magic pill for it, but what would you say to them to encourage them to get past that? When you are looking at how to recover from self-doubt, I think it's really important to look at that as an inside job. If you're leaning into somebody to ask them to fix it for you, that's not going to go very far in terms of your own personal growth and development, your own way of actualizing what you want to accomplish in your life. So when people come in to me and they say, I've got some self-doubt here, understanding that they're operating through that lens is a really good thing, first of all. And then we can clear that in the Akashic Records. But that's different from asking somebody to lead them through self-doubt or talk them out of self-doubt. So it's really clearing self-doubt is an inside job. It does take some support to do that as well. But the support has to come in an empowered way, not in a disempowering form. Uh, yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> I've, I've been in several programs with different coaches and everything, but until I did the, you know, I worked on the inside. That's when, you know, things started to shift for me. So I really love that you bring that up. Um, thank you for being so transparent too. You know, sometimes we'll just be like, well, this, this, and that. And then, but it's just like, we're still left no. in like, huh? <laughs> no, there's such a complexity to the personal psychology of entrepreneurs and unless and until I or you know that person and understand them and understand what their highest potential is. It's very difficult to give really dialed in stepwise advice on how to transform self-doubt because it's different for everybody. But I would say that because self-doubt can be so debilitating in business, it is a wound that requires some transformation. There's probably some trauma involved with that. There's probably some projections from other people. You might be taking on some generational influences, genetic, cultural, societal influences as well, all play a role in how we experience self-doubt. So it's not even about you doubting yourself so much as it's taking on all of these other people's attitudes, beliefs, projections without even knowing that you're doing so. Absolutely. No, I thank you so much, Robin. You've been like so transparent and like, I love, you know, <laughs> you said you're like, you're not a jar of right? And I get it now because you're saying all the things that people don't say. And I love that. Like, this is such a good right. conversation. <laughs> right. I, I do. I do say what I think, and that's one of my great gifts, but sometimes it's hard to hear. And I think that the people who are ready willing and able to really listen here, take it within the spirit that's in it, it's intended. It's not meant to be anything other than loving and truthful. And that's, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we, and that's how we make progress as well as when we debride wounds and heal them. 
but you can't heal you can't heal a wound if you've still got a bunch of the nonsense sitting in your system you've got a laser laser focus on what that is clear it out and get on the other side of it i think the people that need to hear this message they'll receive it and it'll be just what they need <laughs> and the others that. can just say oh i don't like nutella well okay <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of the insights and goodies that you shared with us today. Where can people connect with you, Robin? Well, I'm on all the social media channels at dr.robinmckay is my Instagram handle. On my website, drrobinmckay.com, D-R-R-O-B-Y-N-M-C-K-A-Y.com. If you go there and just hang out on the on that first page for five seconds or so, there's gonna be a quiz that pops up. That quiz is asking the question, what's your leadership style? And that is a snapshot of the personality profile that I was sharing with you a little bit earlier in our, in our time together. The better you know yourself, the more you know about yourself, the easier it is for you to accomplish what you came here to accomplish. So that is something I would invite people to take the quiz. Some people promote quizzes like they're fun things, but this is actually like, it's like, it's good shit. Excuse my language, but it is. It's just good, solid information on what your sole purpose is based on what your leadership style is and so on. And then that gets you kind of connected in, in my sphere where you, you can start learning from me and start learning about how I work with people as well. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm going to link all of this in the show notes. So, and I'm going to go check you. out the quiz. <laughs> yeah, I do. And let me know what your, what your results were. And um, yeah, I just, I think that the more that we can be in the world together and link arms with each other and know that there are other people who are on the journey, creating a world that is very different from the world we've been living in, creating new ways of living and working of contributing and of mastering what we came here to master. That's what this is all about. So that's what I'm doing here. And I, I have the sense, Mary, that that's what you're doing here too, as well as your listeners. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I so glad. I love, I always say, I love the way the universe brings people together. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, no, I'm so glad and grateful to have you on here sharing your magic with us. <laughs> well, thank um, you for inviting me. Of course, you're welcome. All right, friends, there we have it. That's all today. I hope this inspires you and uplifts you in all the ways. Thank you again, Robin, for joining us today. And thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'm sending all the love, light, good vibes, and magic into your home, your world, and your business. I'll see you later. You've been listening to the Share Your Magic podcast with Mary Alvazurez. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's episode, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time, keep sharing your magic with the world. We'll catch you in the next episode.